Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's Safety and Health webcast, Best Practices in Contractor Prequalification, sponsored by Aveta. My name is Barry Botino, and I'm an associate editor with Safety and Health magazine. I'll be your moderator today. Thanks for joining us. In a few minutes, we'll start the presentation, but first I'd like to go over a couple of housekeeping items today. The views of today's speaker and organization are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication does not mean the council or the magazine endorses those items. After today's presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session with our speaker. To ask a question, simply type it in the text box in the lower left-hand corner of your screen and click the button for Submit Question. Feel free to ask your question at any time at all during the presentation. You do not have to wait for the Q&A session to begin. We'll try to answer as many questions as possible today, but we might not get to every question. Any questions we don't get to, however, will be forwarded along to today's speaker. If you happen to have any technical issues during this webcast, please refer to our list of helpful tips on the right-hand portion of your screen. And for basic troubleshooting information, click the Help button located at the bottom of your screen. At the end of the webcast, you'll be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey, but I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. Aveta, our sponsor today, is offering several helpful resources for our audience members, which you can find by clicking on the Resources widget at the bottom of your screen. Excuse me. In addition, Aveta has made the slides available for today's presentation as well in that Resources widget. This webcast will be archived, so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast and all of our past webcasts, visit us online at safetyandhealthmagazine.com slash events. With that, let's introduce our speaker. With us today to share his expertise is Tom Sisich. Tom serves as the president of TFC and Associates, a safety, health, and environmental management consulting firm, and as a strategic advisor for Aveta. Tom is a certified safety professional and a certified industrial hygienist. He also served as the 102nd president of the American Society of Safety Professionals and is an ASSP fellow, which is the society's highest honor. Again, we thank you all for tuning in to our presentation today. Tom, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away. Great. Thanks, Barry. Um, <clears throat> and, and hello to everyone. I'm, I'm joining you today from... Uh, outside of uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, uh, I, I have uh, my picture up here just so you have some sense of, of what I, I look like. Um, I have to laugh. Some uh, webinars uh, actually have live video, and I try to discourage that. Number one is it, 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 it tends to annoy me, and, and it probably will annoy you to have to look at me the whole time. So um, starting out, uh, when we do programs at Aveta, we always start with a, a safety moment, and and certainly with um, uh, all of our experiences with COVID-19 right now, I thought I'd uh, share just this slide talking about um, workplace hygiene and you know the three areas of respiratory etiquette, hand hygiene, and and avoiding touch points. I think most of us probably are are you know, in the process of returning to work or are certainly planning very seriously for it. And um, so these are pretty basic. So maybe the thought I'd like to leave you with as far as our safety moment is 
Um, as you're as you're looking at your workplaces and trying to uh, reduce the risks and reduce the exposures, um, think about using the hierarchy of controls. Um, that's a basic um, tool that as safety uh, professionals we use and most of us probably you know think of it in terms of you know physical hazards and chemical hazards but certainly um, um, the, the you know the concept applies to um, biological hazards uh, such that we're dealing with um, and perhaps in a unique manner now so I'll, I'll leave that thought with you as as our safety moment. Um, Aveda has provided a number of resources. Uh, there's been a number of webinars we've done, uh, white papers. Uh, there's a series of safety moments, one, uh, one slide um, <clears throat> um, presentation, just like I just showed. If you find those useful, you're welcome to use them. They're all free and available to you at aveda.com uh, backslash COVID. Uh, a quick word about Aveda. Um, we, we are a global organization with 450 clients that serve uh, 95,000 suppliers uh, throughout the world. Uh, we offer a technology and software solution for global supply chain risk management. We specialize in all aspects of supplier and contractor risk management from prequalification uh, including auditing all the way through <clears throat> the process to performance evaluation. Uh, if you'd like more information, please feel free to contact me uh, or reach out after today's session. So today what we'd like to talk about are to discuss the importance and value of contractor pre-qualification, uh, learn the key elements of an effective contractor management program, and understand the best practices for contractor prequalification <clears throat> as identified in two Campbell Institute studies. Um, however, I'd like to start out with <clears throat> personal experience. And um, you know, if we're in this field you know, for, a, for a long time, we, um, uh, you know, we, we gather experiences that are particularly weigh on us. And, uh, in this area of prequalification, the one that really touched me personally uh, started about um, 10 years ago, and I was just watching my local news um, again in Raleigh, and uh, there was a there was a, a, a reporter who was doing a news story, actually an investigative report um, about a, a, a double fatality in a manhole in um, on a public works project in in Durham, North Carolina. And think of a, an underground vault that was a collection tank. And um, what happened, what the story reported on, were two, uh, two workers that uh, were found dead in, in the bottom of this tank. And I, I thought it was, and, and I, I eventually uh, spoke with the reporter and served as her technical reference because I, I was just touched by the accident and the fact that um, the, the company uh, refused to accept any responsibility for the fatalities. Uh, they denied workers' comp, um, said that you know the, the employees had no business being in the tank, and, and it just struck me as you know just um, a particularly egregious behavior. And um, but um, and I, I got so far as to you know again be the technical resource. 
Um, the um, the fatality. I, I looked at the you know the reporter asked me to look at the autopsy and uh, explain asphyxiation due to hydrogen sulfide gas inhalation, which of course um, is a is a risk of underground tanks uh, without proper testing. And and the bottom line was that um, the the city and and this is not unusual in in public works projects in municipalities and and in state government. Um, and, and you know also has a has a, an issue is you know very little prequalification was done and and most bids are are selected solely on cost and uh, this particular case um, was listed in, in EHS Today magazine as <clears throat> the um, the COSH which is Committee of Occupational Safety and uh, Health which is a um, a, a worker advocacy uh, national group listed as this fatality is one of their top 10 um, in uh, most egregious in, in 2011. Um, this was the article that was written. There's a misspelling in here, but that, that's the way the, the article was, was printed. But the bottom line, and you can look at the last sentence, it says the city of, of Durham subsequently is considering changes in their public bid process. And, and what those changes were to, is to do uh, contractor prequalification uh, and include uh, safety as a key criteria in awarding these contracts. So this this is really a case that sensitized me. And, and even though my company and I've worked in electronics and chemicals and, and ultimately retired from pharmaceuticals, um, we were doing and had been doing you know various uh, levels of prequalification, but. Again, it, it really raised to, to my attention the, the value and importance of, um, uh, of you know, the, and of course the impact, ensuring that um, you know safety is is a key criteria uh, for selecting contractors, vendors, suppliers um, that you utilize. <clears throat> so uh, the hiring of contractors presents benefits and risks. We we do it for a reason to do jobs that. We may not want to do that. Organiza other organizations can do more efficiently, but we also have to understand that risks are introduced. And um, I suspect that many of us on this particular webinar, um, you know, uh, having you know been contacted through the, the National Safety Council, probably on the safety side of of your uh, businesses. And so uh, obviously we're interested in safety performance, but things such as regulatory compliance, financial strength, quality, um, cybersecurity, insurance, sustainability, anti-bribery, um, you know, the legal, uh, legal hiring practices and concerns about litigation and, and citations, these are all the risks that um, are introduced by making a decision to, um, to use third parties to help um, meet your business needs, um, and and again, it's not to say that that it's not a good risk to to, to use third parties. Um, it's becoming more and more common, as all of us know. But we we should understand what those risks are, and and what are steps that we can do to um, minimize those risks. There's also a, a few changes that are occurring um, in the global environment. Uh, many of you know that uh, there is now a global standard, ISO 45001, Occupational uh, Health and Safety Management Systems. That was approved <clears throat> in um, March of, of uh, 2018. 
In the sustainability world, there's a global reporting initiative, GRI 403, that was approved in June of 2018. And um, the, the interesting thing of both of these global initiatives, and we're also seeing it in the United States, um, is that the, there's a broad definition of workers versus employees. And more and more, um, we're seeing the term workers used as opposed to employees, meaning that uh, if you're the owner, operator of a facility, more and more there's an expectation, uh, both from a legal standpoint and a regulatory standpoint, that um, you take into account the, the safety uh, and health of all the workers uh, on your job. And workers means more than, than just your employees. It, it's anybody that's uh, at that facility. And it's all the workers performing the work that is controlled by that organization, um, and, um, and it's whose workplace is controlled by the organization. So definitely we're seeing uh, you know, more of an inclusive, if a person's at your facility, you bear a certain amount of responsibility. Uh, just to, to highlight, um, we are seeing that from um, from U.S. perspective, certainly OSHA in their recommended practice for safety and health programs. There's a document for general industry and there's one for construction. Um, it talks about the, the basic contents, which are most people will accept as a, as a, um, a management, um, safety management program, the, the elements, management, leadership, worker participation, which of course it gains greater um, focus in recent years, hazard identification, hazard prevention, uh, education and training, program evaluation. You know, any management system has these key elements. But I, I think it's particularly telling that in both the general industry and construction safety and health program guide that OSHA put out, that they, they have uh, as the last element, in this particular case, the general industry one, says communication and coordination for host employers, contractors, and staffing agencies. Um, the bottom line is that they consider you looking, uh, you having programs to um, ensure um, uh, or minimize the risk to third parties um, as, as a key program uh, element of your safety program. So I wanted to kind of give, before I jump actually you know, into the, the meat of the presentation, kind of lay that out that, that there's certainly a changing expectation of you know, what your responsibility as a host employer is to people that are working at your facility. Um, I'm going to use three references. Um, for uh, my talk today, and, and two of these are on, available online, and the other I can get you access if you'd like. I, I'm sure our, our colleagues at the National Safety Council will be pleased to see two of these are um, publications from the uh, Cam uh, National Safety Council's Campbell Institute. Uh, and then the third is uh, one from uh, the American Society of Safety Professionals, and I'll make reference to those um, uh, throughout the rest of this presentation um, and, and in terms of their, uh, um, their references to um, uh, pre-qualification. Um, the first step we should look at is take, before we talk about pre-qualification specifically, 
is um, look at the contractor life cycle. And uh, for for contractors, you know, working on a job or vendors where, where they have, you know, specific responsibility, um, generally there's there's five um, uh, distinct areas or uh, periods um, that are involved in in the life cycle. Uh, the first uh, is pre-qualification, which is you know where we're going to spend the, the most time on, on our discussion today. So uh, pre-qualifying the people that are going to be the third parties that are going to be that are going to be um, doing the work uh, at your facility, and that may be whether they're there for a, a one-week job or um, really assume, I won't call it a permanent responsibility, but a long-term responsibility, such as a facilities maintenance group or a logistics group or, you know, a cafeteria food uh, service group. So, um, you know, whether they're short-term or long-term, pre-qualification still is a, is a key element. Um, the next step, uh, pre-job task and, and risk assessment. Uh, looking at the work they're going to do and and looking at what the risks are, both that they're introducing that might impact them. Now, you, you're hiring for their, their expertise, and you should expect them to be able to identify <clears throat> what the risks that their people are going to be exposed to. But you have to understand it's a, it's a broader question because they can introduce risks not only to, to their workers, but also to your workers. So it's important that you know, you understand, um, you know, or define clearly what their jobs are, and to the extent that you, you understand the risks, to communicate those to uh, the contractor so that they understand, um, you know, the risks that they're uh, being introduced to at your facility, and, and that goes both ways, um, that they should be communicating what risks they're, they're bringing to your facility. Um, training and orientation, of course, is, is a key element. How is that done? Um, <clears throat> who does it? Um, you know, and, and how, do you, how do you track it to ensure, particularly if, if you have a contractor that um, has different trades coming in at different times or experiences um, you know, high, higher levels of turnover, uh, how do you ensure that um, the, the workers that are on your site and, and again, I use the term workers, which you know, then you know uh, offers that that you have some responsibility in in the overall um, you know management of of safety of your of your of your facility. Um, the fourth is the monitoring of the job. Is um, <clears throat> unless there are very very few circumstances um, where you can assume a hands-off you know, uh, uh, position and say, get the job done and, you know, bill me when it's over. Now, you might argue that <clears throat> some greenfield uh, greenfield uh, projects that you know, can fence it off and not introduce any specific risks to your operation, I, I think even that to some extent uh, probably is, is not completely uh, true also. So, you know, you have some responsibility to monitor that, that work um, uh, as it goes. And the fifth step of, of, the, of the contractor life cycle is the post-job evaluation. Um, you know, how did we do? And, um, and I'll talk a little bit more about this because um, 
um, we're going to see that in, in you know listing some of the, the challenges that many companies have is they don't do a very good job or any job at the post job evaluation and, and I think there's an argument that says that you may not have a better opportunity to gain information or to um, uh, you know, learn uh, for the future by doing uh, these post-job evaluations. Um, now, I'm going to refer directly to the, um, uh, the document uh, from the Campbell Institute, and um, they list uh, in, the, in you know, looking at best practices and common uh, challenges, um, they list a series of, of best practices that um, uh, the Campbell Institute um, uh, companies uh, who developed this public publication have found uh, from their experience to have the most success in working with contractors, suppliers, and, and third parties. So, uh, and I will go through uh, some of these in, in a little more detail, and certainly the, the pre-qualification. So, step one, um, the Campbell Institute member companies found that the use of third-party pre-qualifying companies is the best practice. Now, um, honestly, that may sound a little self-serving since um, um, that's what Aveda does, is a third-party pre-qualifying company, but uh, again, um, you know the the companies of you know found that the pre-qualification process is evolving. Uh, it's getting more robust. It's getting more thorough. And those companies that are doing it well, or they think they're doing it well, um, and these are these are very famous companies that we all will have heard of, uh, best in class companies. That 71% of those, almost three quarters. Um, use a third-party pre-qualification company uh, that uses a well-documented uh, resource, uh, well-resourced and risk-adaptive vetting process. So, um, and, and I'll, I'll be clear, and I don't want to come across as, as shameless advertising um, for for Aveda. Um, in terms of the pre-qualification, there's there's no reason that um, your company, your organization, can't do uh, your own in-house. Um, it can be done, uh, certainly has been done for a long time, but as just as this slide indicates, the, the level of scrutiny continues to expand and the third-party companies are, uh, you know, have processes and technology uh, to help, um, uh, help you with um, your pre-qualification process. Um, once again, you can do it in-house. Just understand there, there is a cost to it. There, 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 neither approach is a free cost, is, is free. And if you choose to do it in-house, just ensure that you have adequate resources available to do the elements of pre-qualification. Um, and, and resources in, in, include um, a people time, uh, and also technology time. Just remember, you will be competing. Uh, just as you as you compete for any IT resources, it's always a constant struggle because um, you know, everybody wants more technology to to manage their, you know, to, to simplify the management of their operations. Um, same thing applies. So if you're trying to get in line for technology for pre-qualification, just recognize that 
you know, you're, you're going to have to build your business case as to why it's more important for your company to use those resources for pre-qualification versus, um, you know, uh, production scheduling or, or some other type of business operation. Um, at Aveta, we've tried to um, put together what we think is, is a cost justification. If you did this in-house, these are the various tasks that you would need to do to effectively vet a contractor. And, and you, know, you can see the numbers. I mean, we, we can debate you know, whether it takes one hour or an hour and a half or three hours or half an hour for each of the, of the, of the uh, elements. But um, you know, what we found looking across the number of different clients is that roughly 12 hours per contractor per year to uh, appropriately vet and follow. And remember, things change in contractors. Uh, it's important to keep track of changes in their, their safety performance, uh, changes in their insurance uh, you know, uh, requirements, um, you know, changes in their, if you, if you follow their EMR rates. Uh, it's very important to keep track of that, which it's not a one-time uh, perform the task and then uh, forget about it. So um, roughly we found that it's uh, total hours per contractor are um, 12 hours a year per contractor, which you know, if you work on a 2,080 work hour year, um, that would equate to about one um, full-time staff member responsible for, for pre-qualifying, pre monitoring, and keeping track of uh, the various uh, elements of um, contractor management. So you can do the math um, uh, as to what you would either be paying or what the best-in-class companies are, um, you know, the amount of resources they're using if, if indeed they're managing it in-house. Um, and uh, one other, I want to refer to the other um, uh, Campbell Institute publication. It's called Making the Case for Contractor Management. And they actually went through and took data from uh, one of the third-party um, um, uh, providers, pre-qualification providers. And they looked at, at the data of uh, injury illness data. And what it showed is that the, the gray bars um, on, on these using OSHA data and, of course, using uh, experience mod rates from an insurance standpoint. Um, the gray bars are the industry averages. Uh, for EMR, the gray bar would, it be, uh, would equate to one. Uh, but the gray bars are the industry averages. The green bars were the uh, averages for those contractors and those industries that had gone through uh, the pre-qualification uh, process for that third-party uh, third um, vendor. Uh, and you can see that um, the, uh, those, co those companies that had gone through the, the rigorous pre-qualification process, their, um, uh, their performance on site, and this is their site performance, is, is considerably below, generally one-half of the industry average. So, um, you should expect, however you do pre-qualification, that you're getting the, the best of, um, of the, the contractors, the vendors, the suppliers 
that you're looking for to do those jobs. By holding them to high standards, uh, you should get better uh, performance from your, from your contractors. Um, the other interesting thing was in, in the Campbell Institute study was not only are the contractors better um, overall, if you look at the data um, comparing um, the average uh, of a particular, say, trade to the industry average of that, um, that type of trade, but that um, the performance also improves further over time. So not only are, um, are the, the clients that uh, use this particular third-party company, uh, which in this case is Browse, uh, I, you know, full disclosure, um, a VETA purchased Browse uh, last year, but the Browse data was used several years ago on this study. Um, not only is do the clients, um, the, the contractors and suppliers, the clients, are the Browse clients we're using, not only are their rates 50% of the industry average, but those that had been using the process over a um, period of years, the performance of those um, uh, contractors continues to get better. So um, I think that was the conclusion, the concluding statement from the report. Um, it said the use of third-party contractor management systems can be considered a best practice for all companies using contractor services. And, and again, uh, uh, to be fair, that the things, the processes that, that are used, you can replicate if you, cho if you choose to do it on site. Just understand the um, you know the level of resources um, you know in terms of finances, people, and technology that would be required to do that. So um, uh, going back to the um, to the the other uh, Campbell Institute report on on contractor management, um, uh, these are continue to be the best practices, and I wanted to run run through these. Uh, the second best practice is um, the, um, let me just jump back a slide, um, assessment of contractor safety statistics. So um, it's in, in, in a best practice for contractor prequalification is uh, indeed knowing what the safety you know, outcomes, what the, what the lagging indicators, if you will, of the contractors that you're going uh, to use. Um, and, and we can debate uh, and should debate um, whether, you know, is that the best um, metric? We, we have those debates within our organization about lagging and leading indicators. Um, but um, in, in a study by, in Professional Safety Magazine, um, the, um, uh, the portion of safety professionals rating the, import, the, the, pr the proportion of safety professionals rating the importance of evaluating contractor injury history during pre-qualification, and you can see that um, the vast majority, close to over 75%, feel that um, the uh, having this data and tracking this data and evaluating this data is of uh, of significant importance um, in uh, your pre-qualification process and and your monitoring process. Uh, it's important to, particularly on a, on a project that might be multi-year, multi it's important to know, you know, are there changes that are occurring uh, for either better or worse? Ideally, you'd like to see improvement in the numbers. If they're not getting better, uh, if insurance costs are going up, you know, that's 
certainly an indicator. And again, we can debate, you know, the merits of, of leading versus lagging. Um, <clears throat> there was a, a July uh, 2019, sorry, I didn't put the date on here, uh, professional safety uh, article. Uh, and uh, it, it, I remember when it came out, it caught my attention. Um, it was called Contractor Safety Prequalification. And, and the author um, is David Banks, uh, Will Banks. Um, I believe uh, he is at uh, Internet, um, IUP, um, uh, Indiana University of Pennsylvania, is on the faculty there. Um, he raises some, some very good uh, concerns and arguments about relying solely on the use of, um, of um, uh, lagging indicators. And um, you know, he, he identifies three concerns. Uh, number one is that in many cases, contractors um, are small. And uh, one event may uh, significantly skew their overall performance. And so um, that's, you know, you know, looking at, at numbers alone, and I have a slide that I'll illustrate that next, may not be the, the very best way to evaluate it. Um, certainly there's a concern about under-reporting of information of, of, um, uh, from contractors. Uh, contractors understand that you know, if, if your organization sets, sets a, um, a, you know, a firm bar at, say, total case incident rate of 2.0, uh, if you uh, if they exceed that, they're not even going to get on the bid packet. They're you know they're not even going to if you go any further on the prequalification process. Um, they understand that, and there's certainly and I've I've heard this many times from contractors uh, talking about the challenges they have and the pressures they have, um, you know, in terms of the reporting of accidents and you know the the classification of accidents that ultimately they would have to report. So that. That, that's a real problem um, when we're using injury illness data. And then the, the inability to audit that data or the, or the uh, unwillingness or in a, you know, not, not being able to, to, to look at their injury illness data at a granular level and say, you know, are we really looking at, at correct reporting? Um, and, and in his uh, article, the, the July 2019 article, uh, he compares, he, he gives a hypothetical example. And um, uh, say the hiring organization has 100 employees and they have one injury or illness over the period of the year, they would have 200,000 hours worked, uh, and they have an incident rate of 1.0, which you know, obviously is very good. Um, and, you know, so they might look at, if, you, if they are evaluating a small uh, contractor, they might look at their own data. Uh, they'll look at the national average for construction workers, which would be 3.6. And then, you know, just look at, you know, the various contractors, a contractor with 10 employees, 16 employees, 22 employees. Uh, one injury, um, you know, blows their incident rate out of the water. And uh, so if you're looking at numbers alone, you might say, well, we're going to exclude contractor ABC. Um, and uh, um, um, and not use them, um, and without knowing, you know, what kind of injury did they have? I mean, did somebody, you know, cut their finger on a sharp edge, or you know, did they fall off a ladder? Um, you know, looking at, um, um, you know, the 
their their work practices and and processes. So, um, you know, the argument for for using uh, just the um, numbers uh, is is um, just recognize that there's limitations. Just like within our own facilities, looking solely at lagging indicators and trying to say what's that going to you know predict for the future. Uh, we understand that, you know, what do they say in the finance world? Past performance is no indication of future performance. Um, you know, if, if, the, if the financial and the stock market and the financial analysts understand that, you know, that's a principle that we should um, also understand. Um, <clears throat> so uh, moving on, the next would be um, internal scale or checklist to assign grades to contractors during pre-qualification. In other words, you know, we're still on best practices. So have some measurement uh, in addition to assessing and, and tracking the injury illness. Look at um, what their, uh, you know, look at other metrics that they show. And in, in, in Will Banks's article, um, once again, um, he recommends um, a, a number of different um, um, pre-qualification metrics that you may want to look at. And, and some of these aren't going to uh, apply in every uh, you know, work environment. But the bottom line is don't, don't just look at the safety um, program and the safety outcomes, but what is their overall program? What are the various program elements of training, certifications, um, have they done your type of work before? What is their liability and regulatory history? What is their capacity to do the work? You know, if you look at it and say, you know, we, you know, the, this job really requires highly skilled, you know, uh, tradespeople, and you're looking at the backgrounds of the people and you're going, you know, I just don't see it here. Chances are the work's going to have problems. Um, look at their ability to pre-task and pre-job plan. Um, you know, what about, what does monitoring show? And then ultimately the, the post-job evaluations. Uh, I go back to the, um, the fatality investigation that I referred to early in the talk. And um, uh, the company that ended up doing the work, and it was a fairly big public, public works job uh, for the city, uh, if you looked at their record, whether it was injury illnesses, whether it was um, their regulatory record, whether it was their insurance, um, EMR, um, you know, the, the numbers, you know, from a safety and health standpoint, and, and it was, you know, heavy construction work, um, they were not good. They would be very low on a, a comparison of looking at a number of different companies. And, um, but again, because it was, uh, everybody knew it would be a low bid job, there were only certain um, uh, companies that decided that was the kind of work that they were really interested in. So, um, um, you know, the, the broader you can look at the amount of information that's available, the better indication of, of you know, what that company is going to bring. Um, the third element, or another, sorry, another best practice is risk uh, rating for work um, uh, to be performed by the contractor. You know what is what are the risks associated with it? How you know how are you evaluating those risks? If you look at it and say this is a you know we're we're bringing in experts to do this, this looks like a pretty risky lift. 
um, uh, you know, what's their ability? How are they assessing the risk? How are they going to do the work um, to, to minimize the risk to, to their operation, to their people, your people, um, and your operation? Another best practice, uh, placing general contractors in charge of subs um, and, and holding them to, um, to the, the owner safety standards. What is it, you know, what are the standards that you're going to require? And, um, um, you know, hold the general contractors responsible for ensuring their subs meet those standards. Another best practice is verification of uh, contractor um, certifications, permits, uh, ensuring that, you know, that for um, uh, subs at the site, site safety orientation, uh, get completed, and then um, periodic uh, scheduled assessments during the um, uh, during the contract term, looking to see you know how are we doing um, you know during the period that this work is getting done. So these are the best practices uh, and and challenges associated with um, uh, contractor management by the member companies of the. Um, uh, Campbell Institute that participated in this particular study. Um, and even they recognized that there were common challenges among um, these uh, best-in-class companies in terms of contractor uh, safety management. Um, um, most of the companies recognized that these were some of the, the limitations that uh, they were facing. Number one is um, you know, a, a, a formalized structure for disciplinary action. How do you deal with, uh, uh, you know, that with contractor vendors that aren't performing up to um, their own, spe your specifications or their specifications um, for uh, that particular job or for the particular uh, performance measures built into those jobs? You know, what are, what are the, what's the formal structure? And, uh, you know, companies are, are reluctant to terminate contracts, um, um, you know, for jobs that are halfway done, and, and there's very good reasons for that, of course. You know, there's legal issues, there's cost issues, but um, it also introduces um, significant risk to your organization and risk in terms of the job, not just uh, for people getting hurt. There's cost risk and, you know, um, uh, completion risk, safety risk. Um, another challenge is uh, there was very little integration of contractor lagging metrics into owner's safety statistics. And you might say, well, why do we have to do that? That's, OSHA doesn't require that. And, and that's a fair point. But um, as I indicated early on, with, certainly with some of these international um, standards, whether it's ISO 45001 um, or the, the sustainability reporting uh, requirements, more and more um, um, people that are that are interested in overall organizational performance, and many times that you know for, for uh, publicly owned um, entities, that includes uh, the the uh, investor community. They want to know what what's occurring on on your site. What are what are the overall risks associated on your site and safety uh, being one? And to them, you know, it, it, it's somewhat transparent whether the safety risk are from your employees or the safety risks from contractor employees. So um, the, the uh, Campbell Institute companies understood there is, there's, um, uh, it, it's a challenge 
but um, it's important to be to be able to take a holistic uh, holistic view of um, the injury performance on the on the facility. Um, the last point: lack of formalized post-work evaluation process. Uh, again, companies struggle. Um, most organizations are happy that the job is done. Um, it's been completed. Um, you know, might be on time, might be under budget, um, and so it's there's a rush to you know commission the project, get it started, and move on. There's a lot of lessons to be learned by looking at a post-job evaluation. Um, you can you can um, have an additional layer of risk evaluation. How did we do? What was uh, you know how did the uh, you know how did the qualification process go? Uh, was there, you know, can we reward superior performers? You know, can we understand, um, you know, what, wor what worked? What worked and what didn't work? Um, it's interesting that sometimes it can, we have clients that actually do it as, use this process as a 360. Not only um, do, do the uh, clients talk to the suppliers and, and contractors and say, you know, here's how this went. Uh, here's what you could do better uh, next time around. Let's do this, but it's also an opportunity for the contractors and vendors to tell the the client, um, you know, what they could do better. You know, how can they help the contractor, um, the vendor, supplier, to be more effective in how they're doing the job? You know, sometimes we put a blinder on um, to to what our responsibility is in in some of these jobs. Uh, um, you know, having having challenges. So, uh, but it's what I found interesting is that uh, again, the best in class companies almost all recognize that the ability to evaluate performance post job evaluation was a challenge and an opportunity for them. Um, so, in terms of just a couple thoughts on 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 pre qualification. Uh, and again, I don't mean this to be selfish advertising for Vetis Park, because we are a technology company. We offer technology solutions. But take advantage of technology, either through a third party or uh, internal. Um, look at, you know, do you have the ability um, to, to look at, at, you know, the data broadly to use analytics? Um, can you configure your requirements? Um, you know, can you use technology to streamline? The, um, um, the 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 process and and you know can you get your suppliers to enter data um, you know help you know get out of the data entry work to the best best you can now you're going to have to vet your data vet what they put in but uh, a technology solution will allow you to gather large amounts of data and then hopefully uh, analyze that data and it also allows you to measure and track uh, your approvals in real time where are you. Um, you know what what needs to be received from the vendor, supplier, contractor. Uh, is that data doesn't meet your expectations? And if so, if not, why? Uh, you know, and this is something that they can correct. Um, you know, this is not a you know prequalification is not a black white. You pass fail. You know, you know you're you're in or you're out. Um, you know, you still have to make um, you still have to make management risk risk based management decisions. Um, um, and so um, you need to um, um, take advantage of that, and technology allows you to do that. 
there was an article I cut out of um, a Forbes magazine I found a few years ago uh, that I saved uh, and um, I applied in a number of different areas, certainly in, in my work with Aveda, but elsewhere also. And it talks about the title was Digitize or Die. And it was called The Four Superpowers of Technology. And, and the four superpowers are um, the cloud, um, mobile technology, uh, the Internet of Things, and um, uh, artificial intelligence, AI. And um, in your contractor safety management program, certainly your prequalification program, um, you know, if you're going to follow best practice, you're going to generate a lot of data. Um, particularly if you're a large company and you have a number of suppliers, vendors. So uh, again, I think I think having a, a technology, the, the technology to help you manage your process um, is critical. Whether you provide it in-house or whether uh, you contract through a, a, a third party to get that data. So um, in conclusion, um, the, um, uh, the, the, the references that I've, I've referred to in, in this presentation, there are two from the Campbell Institute. Um, um, and and uh, of course, you have access to, to these slides, but you can download those, um, uh, those reports directly. Um, and uh, the other I referred to was the professional safety article in um, uh, July of 2019. If you're a member of ASSP, you have access. Uh, if you're not a member and you'd like to have that article, reach out to me and I will ensure that you get a copy. So with that, I think uh, we're targeting to allow 10 minutes for uh, questions and answers. Um, and here is my contact information. So um, Barry, I will turn it back over to you, and um, um, we can go through some. We have about 10 minutes to go through some questions. Well, thank you, Tom. A great job today. Thanks so much for sharing all your insights on this topic. Remember, folks, if you'd like to ask a question, go ahead and simply type it into the text box in the lower left-hand corner of your screen, and you can click the button for Submit Question. I want to remind everyone of the evaluation survey we're asking you to complete today. Uh, the survey should be appearing on your screen right now. Your feedback is really important to us because it does help us to improve our future webcasts. If you don't see the survey on your screen, go ahead and turn off your pop-up blocker, please. Uh, you may also access the evaluation by clicking the survey button near the lower right part of your screen. And I also want to remind everyone, make sure you check out all the resources that Aveda is offering today at that resources widget on your screen. Uh, the slides from today's presentation are also there. And let's go ahead and get to some questions, Tom. And the first question I have for you is obviously something that's on everyone's mind is COVID-19. And, and one of our attendees asks, how does the COVID-19 pandemic change the contractor pre-qualification process? Well, um, uh, you know, the, the, of course, the challenge that we all have is anybody that's at our facility, um, you know, introduces uh, uh, additional risk. And um, the, the contractors, uh, as much as we'd like to have, you know, as much control as, as, you know, we'd like or as much control as we have over our own employees, which, you know, in and of itself presents a challenge. I mean, uh, you know, we're, we're all, you know, plowing new, new territory here, uh, I'm afraid. But um, you should expect... 
um, if you're if you're looking to to, to you know, use a, a new contractor supplier, or if you have one that you're already using, you're trying to bring them back, you know, to to uh, support your operations. Um, is is they they you know the the same principles of of isolation protection, all the you know all the CDC recommendations and, and OSHA recommendations. Um, need to be followed. So you need to have a a, a system, and um, from a pre-qualification process, that can become part of of the decision process. Whether you know the organization you want to bring in on a, you know to to do the work during this time uh, is sufficient meets your your requirements. So you know questions associated with what is their you know what what is their preparation, what are their controls. Um, you know how are they uh, how are they addressing um, the COVID-19 uh, precautions with their employees? So that there's really no difference, but you, know, you can use that as a as a pre-qualification um, requirement that says, or a criteria, I should say, that says you know we're going to evaluate their program uh, and both on a a pre-qualification basis, but also on an ongoing. Because uh, uh, you know they they get loose uh, with their um, you know their their criteria for letting people on your facility, uh, it it just opens you wide up um, you know to to have the virus uh, impact your your op your your employees and your operations. That's a great question. You know we're you know uh, you know unfortunately we're all kind of muddling through it um, uh, together and and you know the use of Third-party um, contractors, suppliers, just adds to the to the challenge. Absolutely, Tom. Our next question: uh, One of our audience members wants to know: Is there a risk transfer benefit for conducting a third-party review versus an in-house review, uh, i.e., less liability? Um. Well, again, what what you're trying to do there? There's a number of risks. Associated with using third parties, whether it's you know co contractors, vendors, you know contract manufacturers. Uh, in the Inveta world, we we deal with you know people that would be referred to as contractors or vendors or uh, you know various uh, aspects of of uh, supply chains. And you know you have to understand that you know you're introducing the further you get from your direct control. You're introducing liability. You're introducing um, uh, regulatory issues. You're introducing, um, uh, you know, the, the, you know, bad, you know, the potential for bad publicity. You're introducing the threat of uh, continuity of operation. So um, there's, and those are all risks. Those are all risks that um, your management, by saying we're going to use a third party for this job, your management has. Um, accepted those risks. Now, I, I would argue, and this is from my own past experience, uh, I, I'm afraid that a lot of times the people making the decisions because of lots of filtering or lots of focus maybe on cost alone or, um, you know, uh, customer demands, that some of those risks that in the health and safety world we might think are significant uh, don't get evaluated very well, or, or aren't um, you know aren't raised to a high enough level for visibility. So um, uh, again, it's important that 
um, you know, there, there is a little bit of transfer of risk, particularly where, um, you know, you're asking an organization to take on a, a, a risky job either because uh, you don't have the expertise, you don't uh, want to, you know, want to assume that risk. You know, things such as crane operations. Uh, you know, if you're in a manufacturing plant, you know, that's that's just not a, a you know, a skill or, or a capability that we have. We contract it out. To, and so there's a lot of operations like that. So we do transfer risk. But in that transfer, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, I, I think it's a challenge if you, you know, I know organizations that have transferred dirty and high-risk jobs to organizations that um, outside of a, of a quick pre-qualification review on paper, um, most people might say there's no way that this organization can do this job safely. And if you have people saying that about a, a risk that you're transferring, uh, you're making a bad business decision because it will get you. And so, um, uh, so there, there is a transfer. I think that it's important that everybody in, in the organization, your organization, you know, all the different uh, people involved in that decision making, whether it's procurement or engineering, safety and health, quality, operations, finance, um, all the different, uh, uh, you know, Elements of your organization that have um, uh, that are stakeholders understand what the risks are, and and you know what steps are are built in to to mitigate those risks. Okay, thank you, Tom. Uh, we have a question here from our audience: Are partially exempt contractors required to provide OSHA performance data into these systems? Oh well. My big, big question. I'm not sure what a partially exempt uh, em, employer is. So maybe I'm, I'm uh, there's a gap in my knowledge. So I'm, uh, I'm. I, let me let me try to answer the question, which it might be the you know the, the the wrong answer to the right question, the right answer to the wrong question. I'm not sure. Um, you know what? You, it's your it's your call as to what data you want to collect from your organizations and. Ideally, you want to standardize it so that you know the, you know, the organizations that are reporting your vendors, suppliers, contractors are all reporting the same type of information. Um, that you know you want to uh, that you you need to make decisions on. The the key and and the use of any you know let me address just the use of the third party. Just like if you were doing it internally, at the end of the day, you have to control the um, the decision making. You know, the third party doesn't control whether you ex you accept, um, you know, and let a, a contractor or a third party on your facility. The third party will tell you, have they met your requirements? Uh, you know, you say, I want them to have a 2.0 uh, injury rate, uh, you know, no more than a 0.95 EMR, you know, no, um, you know, willful uh, OSHA violations, uh, you know, certain levels of insurance required. You define all those requirements. That's your call, and you you advise your third party. Here's what we you, we want you to determine about all the contractors. Well, at the end of the day, you know, the third party may come back and say, you know, this company meets all, but you know, instead of a 2.0, they might have a you know a 2.5 incident rate. It's your decision, at the you know, ultimately to decide whether that that contractor comes on site. So all the third parties are doing is 
giving you um, the, an evaluation uh, based on the, uh, the, your criteria. They will tell you how and then monitor it and track it and ver verify it. They'll do all those things, an extensive amount of you know, support for you, but you know, at the end of the day, it is still your decision. Uh, even if they don't meet your requirements, you might have unique you know, issues, you might have timely issues, you might be out in the middle of nowhere with a facility and only have one vendor, and you might need to introduce additional risk management uh, you know, methodologies uh, to mitigate the risk from that vendor, but even though they don't meet your base requirements, you may still make a business decision to do that. And, and the key there is that everybody's on, on, on the, the company side, everybody's on board and gives a thumbs up and says, you know, we, we can make this happen with this level of risk mitigation. Barry? Great. Well, thank, thank you, Tom. I, I do appreciate that answer. And, and unfortunately, we have run out of time. I'm sorry we didn't get to everyone's question today. Um, but remember, all of today's unanswered questions will be forwarded along to Tom. And uh, once again, I hope you take time to fill out the evaluation survey on your screen to share your input about this presentation today. And that ends our Safety and Health Magazine webcast. I'd, I'd like to thank our outstanding presenter today, Tom Sisich, everyone from our sponsor at Aveta, and all of you who listened in today. Have a safe day, everyone. Thanks, Barry.